spoiler alert, listen, I don't know exactly what all is going to be mentioned and where, but you might get spoiled if you haven't read the A Song of Ice and Fire series, or you definitely will get spoiled if you haven't seen all of Game of Thrones. You've been warned. Dedicated to George R.R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, you get a free plug from the man himself, George Railroad Martin. Come on, did I sell it to you? Let's do this one of the best podcasts ever done (laughs) and the hbo game of thrones franchises no stop trying to make me quit the show you're listening to before the dragon i was transfixed oh so good (laughs) don't shut up don't tell me what to do 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 do. yes thanks to doug maxwell and danny keen my good friends who did Philly Crew, which is the music for this particular episode. I've got the link for the YouTube in the show notes. You're going to want to check that out. It is part of the YouTube audio library, which we don't have to accredit them for. But hey, you know, it's cool music. So I got to do that. Welcome to Before the Dragon podcast. My name is Matthew. Matthew. <laughs> or Matt Murdick. Or Double M. Or Hey You, if you wish. And today... We're gearing up towards House of the Dragon, which will be released sometime in 2022, and we're going to be trying to do at least one podcast a month in order to build ourselves up to that before we get into the full coverage. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. In order to just kill some time for this particular podcast, we're going to be playing some fun games, some more list games, because those games are what's fun, uh, or at least they're fun for me. Uh, You can tell me whether they're fun for you or not, by tweeting to at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter, or you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. Don't forget that we are your 163rd favorite podcast out of about 3,247,638,792 available podcasts covering A Song of Ice and Fire or the Game of Thrones franchises for HBO. However, It sounds like our numbers are pretty good out of those billions of podcasts. The truth is, is that we're still 163rd out of about 50 active podcasts that are actually working right now covering the series. So math's still not so great, but we're working on it. And you can help us by leaving written reviews wherever you get those podcasts that allows you to do so, or by just hitting that subscribe button. I don't know. I don't know how this algorithm works. Try anything. Try hitting this subscribe button, then hit the unsubscribe button, then hit the subscribe button again. I mean, we never know. It might work that way. Maybe I'll get more hits that way. I don't know how the algorithm works. Somebody tell me how the algorithm works. And just tell two friends. Do like the old Fabergé shampoo commercial. Many of you weren't even born when that commercial was out. They weren't, you weren't born yet. But, you know, you tell two friends, and then they'll tell two friends, and then they'll tell two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. And that's the way that we get the word out about this particular podcast, so that you're all here to give us great thoughts about House of Dragon when it comes out later this year. Man, I've been rambling for a long time. Maybe I need to take a little bit of a break by introducing to you the person who's the most organized with lists and spreadsheets and theories and all kinds of crazy stuff. She's the siren of A Song of Ice and Fire from the West. It's at Kelly Underfoot on Twitter. Kelly, how did you manage to weather that seriously insane monologue that I just gave? I'm used to it, Matt. It was uh, <laughs> it was pretty uh, it was pretty epic as far as your usual goes. But uh, no, I uh, I love listening to your rants. Are you kidding? That's why we're all here. 
Oh, that's wonderful, uh, because I've got plenty to say, uh, usually out of the side of my mouth as much as out of the, my mind. But that's the way that that works. Often the words come before the actual thoughts do. That's why you're here, Kelly, so that you can correct me uh, when that happens. Uh, what are we going to do here? We want to do some lists. We want to play some other kind of fun games. What would you like to do first, Kelly? Reminder, folks, uh, we're including A Song of Ice and Fire, House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones stuff. All of it pertains to these. I'm keeping most of my list specifically to the Game of Thrones, the television series. Uh, but if we spoil you on something, well, it's probably not going to be that major. Although, you never know. So you've been warned. That's the way that that goes. Kelly, what list do you want to start with here? First one that we uh, put in our doc, because I had the, the least to say about it. It was pretty simple, but I like sorting them by uh, the little method we have here. And I'm curious to hear what, how you sorted everything. So that was the top five George R. R. Martin book slash story titles. Okay. Based on the title alone. Title alone, Matt. Read your own rules. On the title alone. <laughs> we can only rank what the titles, just by the titles. So we know nothing about these particular books or these short stories by George R. R. Martin. But... How does the title grab you? I guess what we will do is we'll just go, you go number five. If it's something other than my number on uh, on my list, then I'll tell you, uh, and then we'll move on. Otherwise, I'll give my number five, and then we'll just graduate up to the big finish at number one. Kelly, how about your number five title? Out of the norm, I did pick one that was maybe not as common or familiar with. It was The Ice Dragon. The only one that had like a character in the title that I just loved the imagery of that one. So I went with the very first one. It's not even technically canon, but I think it was prelude to all of the Ice and Fire world. So I went with the Ice Dragon. <laughs> that is an excellent choice, Kelly. I love the Ice Dragon. That did not make my list at all. Not surprisingly, because I completely forgot about it. Uh, <laughs> You might remember this one, though, because back on the podcast Winterfell Days, I do believe that you and Susan and I talked about this particular episode. Susan is the Song of Ice and Fire Siren from the East. We miss you, Susan. Come back soon. The Mystery Night. Because it's not just a night. It's a mystery night. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> love a good mystery? And who doesn't love a good night? It's a mystery night. And of course, we know that mystery nights are typically just uh, people who show up at tournaments and nobody knows who the heck they are. But the mystery night, that's just a heck of a title, George. Way to go. That's part of the <laughs> Dunkin' Egg series, by the way. And we love the Dunkin' Egg series around here uh, almost as much as we love A Song of Ice and, uh, Ice and Fire proper and definitely more than we love Fire and Blood. At least I'm speaking on my behalf. So... Uh, Kelly, what did you think of your choice versus my choice? Any good? Should we put it on the poll? Should we put all of our choices on the poll? <laughs> yeah. Kelly's number five versus Matt's number five. Vote for Kelly. Vote for Kelly. Vote for Kelly. Don't vote for Matt. Vote for Kelly. Obviously. Obviously vote for Kelly. She's the boss around here. Uh, so, uh, I'm not, I don't even want to know what you thought of my choice. Let's go on to number four. Kelly, you're number four. Number four. We're looking forward to it. We're holding our breath for it. The Winds of Winter. <laughs> I think that's cool. I love the alliteration. Back to the main story for me for the rest of these. Sorry to spoil you. But yeah, I like the alliteration in this one. Winds of Winter. A clever way for George to have done it. And if he's going to break from his trend of starting with A something or for something, it's the only one that's the. It was weird. So it's on the bottom of my main series 
favorites. <laughs> All right. Not unsurprisingly, mine has nothing to do with the main series. My number four is The Rogue Prince. I mean, this title screams rule breaker. I mean, outsider. All of those things that I wish I could be, but never ever was and never would do successfully. Uh, so the rogue prince, I'll never be a prince. Um, being rogue is beyond my capabilities. I think I'm pretty much a square. That's the way that that goes. Did you have the rogue prince anywhere on your titles, Kelly? No, sir. No rogue prince in your titles. Once again, we'll put it on the poll. Number four, Kelly's The Winds of Winter versus Matt's The Rogue Prince. Who did it better? Uh, vote for Kelly. Vote for Kelly. Vote for Kelly. Kelly, what is your number three title? We may never see it, but I love the visuals it invokes. A Dream of Spring. I do think that's the most optimistic title he has ever written so <laughs> i had to include it and even though and now you know there's no content that this book is based on at all that this could be my favorite for so my number three a dream of spring just on the title alone i'm looking forward to it <laughs> it will be 738 pages of john with the wildlings walking away from the wall that's what it shall be if you take the television show by any choice uh nothing else but that that's all it shall be <laughs> The uh, number three for me, and let me know if this is on your list at all, but I mean, as far as a title goes, Fire and Blood. First of all, just to hear Danny say those words in the television series is so cool. I think that uh, Amelia Clark always delivered that line very good. Um, not really, in terms of actual content, not really a big fan of Fire and Blood and the way that it's told and the sheer volume of people that I have to try and remember. I haven't taken a college history course in a long time, and this one definitely surpasses, uh, trying to study this stuff definitely surpasses any college history course that I ever, ever took. Nonetheless, I do uh, think that Fire and Blood is a super cool title. It's what I would like to do to all of my enemies, is to rain down Fire and Blood upon them. Uh, that will never happen either, mainly because I don't have too many enemies. Uh, secondly, because, <laughs> I mean, look at me. How am I going to rain fire and blood down on anybody? Uh, that's the way that goes. Did fire and blood make any of your list, Kelly? No, I was trying to remove myself from the content. Matt, words alone, I was trying to go by. There was too much emotional attachment to those words that I thought I couldn't separate the content from the words. So right. I, I had to write it off. Had to write it off. Did the smart <laughs> thing. Number three, Kelly versus Matt. Fire versus fire and blood versus... A Dream of Spring. I think it's pretty obvious which one should win there. It's Kelly. Vote for Kelly. Vote for Kelly. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, your number two favorite George R. R. Martin title. It's getting darker. It's getting darker. But I think I really never thought of what the implications of this title was. Um, A Feast for Crows. Um, actually, when it came to the story, I tried to write that out. But the idea of what A Feast for Crows would actually be could be a very... Uh, frolicking day in the uh, park where you just throwing corn about and they're having a great time. Um, <laughs> but in the more medieval time period that we are envisioning, Feast for Crows is much more morbid and horrible. So the title was very evocative and I liked that kind of a hidden uh, meaning in the words. So Feast for Crows. That's horrifying, <laughs> Kelly. Uh, mine was much more dramatic uh, and political 
and brainy and not nearly as good as yours. Uh, that is my number two is a clash of kings. I mean, that's a double K, right? Clash of kings. No. Okay. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> clash is such a great word. I mean, there's, you know, it, it, it's not a humdrum word like war or skirmish or, or even battle. No, it's a clash of kings. That, I mean, what, how else can anything stand out to you like that? Um, even though the kings never get within a hundred miles of each other. 200 miles. That's true. That is miles. true. Uh, clash the, of the king's men. It's clash. It's, <laughs> the proper title should have been Clash of the King's Men. If you watch season two and three of Game of Thrones at all, uh, you will know that it's just a bunch of spies doing the stuff for the kings. And uh, they all pretty much die. So, uh, oh, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> we'll put that on the poll as well. Kelly's number two, which was Feast for Crows. Ooh. Ooh, it's like a zombie movie. Yum. Clash of Kings. <laughs> uh, it's like a political clash. Not just a battle, not a war, a clash of kings. It's like, uh, it's, it feels Greek. You should vote for me. On it this does. One. It feels, it feels it does. like a, a Give him clash one, guys. of the Titans. Just, yeah. yeah look, she's even <laughs> succeeding to me that that one is better. This means that we are down to our number one. Will we have the same? Will we not? Obviously. We will find out now as Kelly gives you her number one favorite George R. R. Martin title. I mean, they used it for the show. It's obviously they used it for the entire series, even though it was the first book. So it was so good. Everyone knows what it like represents and it sounds so cool. Game of Thrones. It's awesome. It's like a concept that I don't. I don't know. I'm not the most knowledgeable person in the world of literature, but it's a concept that doesn't really seem to have like a imagery in anywhere else that I've seen. So I like that he called it a Game of Thrones and it seems unique to George and I like that he came up with it. That is a great <laughs> idea. Uh, I love that. It's not a game of chess. It's not a game of checkers. It's not a game of marbles. It's a Game of Thrones. And you have to love the fact that it is a Game of Thrones. That is not my number one <laughs> at all. I, Shocking. I had to come up with a totally different one. And I came up with A Storm of Swords. It's not a bunch of swords. <laughs> I should have guessed. It's not several swords. It's not a few swords. It's not even an army of swords. It is a storm of swords. The only title that could have ever been better would have been maybe a monsoon of swords. I could have really bought into that. Uh, but <laughs> a storm of swords. It's threatening in multiple ways. Imagine swords raining down on you because it's a storm of swords or the wind whipping up a gust of swords. Yes, a storm of swords. I believe that I won this list completely. We'll put it on the poll as we always do. Well, as we just started doing, actually, on Before the Dragon podcast. I've been doing too many double P podcasts lately where I put everything on a poll, where I do try to do everything double, like the double K, Clash of Kings. And that's one of those things that I've got to break myself when I'm doing this podcast, because we are not part of the double P uh, in this particular case. And these videos will not appear on the double P media YouTube. They will still appear on the Matt's game of Thrones 
YouTube. You'll have a link for that in the show notes as well. Good list, Kelly. I loved your list. How long did it take you to come up with it? 10 minutes. It wasn't too bad. I had to decide right away when I looked at the list of book titles and I realized all of his like short stories and one-offs were all like a character, like the Rogue Knight, the Princess and the Queen, the Hedge Knight, Sword and Sword, uh, Mystery Knight. That was a character in the short story. And then all of the main series stories were like concepts and like these, you know, imagery. And I kind of liked, I leaned more towards all of those than the singular character titles. But once I kind of weeded out half of them because of that... (laughs) It was pretty quick. How about you? Uh, Well, I just want to say this first off. I'm very impressed that you did all of that calculating in just 10 minutes. Second, I'm kind of angry that you only put 10 minutes worth of effort into that list. (laughs) Well, only Matt, you can be impressed and insulted at the same time. At the same time, (laughs) I did my list in exactly two minutes and 13 seconds. So uh, they just came to title. It's like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, that doesn't matter. Okay, that's good. All right. So here we go. There's my list. That's how I did that. Yeah. Uh, No thought whatsoever. Oh, it didn't show. It didn't show. Did not show at all, did it? Um, So, uh, Kelly, which list would you like to try now? Or would you like to try a different game and come back to the list? Your choice. You are the navigator of this podcast. Oh, so let's go to the the smartest Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice, Firehouse of the Dragon characters. Oh my goodness, the smartest in Game know. of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire or House of the Dragon. This is going to be an intriguing list. Once again, I kept all of these uh, Game of Thrones related, so there'll be no surprises on my list. Uh, well, there may be surprises <laughs> because they're completely wrong, but other than that, um, there'll be no surprise character names. I won't be mentioning Moon Boy or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, and most of you who know A Song of Ice and Fire uh, are sh- throwing tomatoes at me right now for even mentioning Moon Boy <laughs> in the same sentence as Smart. Um, at any rate, uh, I will go first this time around. Uh, this time, I before will you go do, first. huh? Go ahead. Yeah, before you do, could I ask you to define what did you have in mind when you said smart? Or will that become evident as you go through your list? <laughs> uh, what did I mean when I thought of smart? Um, somebody who's quick on their feet. Somebody who knows their world. Uh, somebody who is aware of the dangers of this world. Somebody who knows how to manipulate this world. All of these things may come into play with smartness. How about you? Did you just go okay. straight intelligence or? Specifically, it had to be intelligent as well as effective. So like my top five, each one has like a justification for, I think they were intelligent and there are a couple that kind of fit that description like simultaneously, but whichever one was the most effective was the one I went with. So that's kind of how I interpreted the, the that, instructions. That's very good. So <laughs> Uh, 1600 plus on the SATs, but still failed college is no good for you, is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I will go first. My number five smartest character in GOT or A Song of Ice and Fire or HOTD is Davos. Davos knew to jump off that ship. He absolutely knew when to jump off that ship. He saw the blast coming. Um, He knew that Melisandre was, you know, evil, or at least that she did evil things uh, in order to win the long game with the Night King. Um, He always asked the right questions. The only thing that he didn't do was think about the people that he cared about most and actually save them, liberate them from these people, which is why he's only at number five on the list. 
Porcherine. Porcherine. I'll say it one more time. Porcherine. Kelly, was Davos on your list? (laughs) He did not make my list. (laughs) He's worldly and experienced, but he was also huge blind spots in terms of humility. Like he was too humble sometimes and he was low birth. So he didn't have as much influence. So he wasn't as effective as I thought other characters were. Also, he was missing some fingers. So he couldn't make as many points as the other characters. (laughs) (laughs) I get the fake Holly laugh. Right there. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. By the way, the fake Holly laugh uh, he- is the highest award <laughs> that we offer here at Before the Dragon Podcast. If you get a fake Holly laugh, you have achieved something. So that's fantastic. I'm sorry. But he, ahead, he was the he was the alternate for my number three. So he was mentioned, but he got booted. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, let's move on to number four. And I'm sure that this guy's going to be on your list. Uh, probably not ranked this low. Because... To me, Tyrion is pretty smart, but those smarts don't always measure up. And by what I mean by this is he couldn't even figure out that the reason Shay betrayed him was because he kicked her out. I mean, come on. That's why she betrayed him. Of course, there could be other reasons as well. Uh, But that's the reason I like. That's the reason I'm sticking to. Um, He knows how to clean sewers. That's an impossible task. Ask anybody in New York City how difficult it is to keep those sewers clean. And Tyrion uh, actually managed to do it pretty well. Uh, if for that no reason at all, uh, no other reason, that's why he is one of the smartest out there, although only the fourth smartest. And I guess finally, you know, did pretty good engineering the Battle of Blackwater. Did pretty good, um, you know, offering uh, advice well, let's let's just say this. Did real good, Marion Sansa. That was pretty smart, even though it didn't work out so well. That was pretty smart as well. Okay, Kelly, where does Tyrion fall on your list? Because I know that he does. How did you know? Yes, he was my number three. So I picked him over Davos because I feel like they had that same role of, you know, versatile, best at quick thinking and mid-game strategy. I feel like Tyrion was a little arrogant and didn't have long-game strategy in mind uh, all of the time. So he was pretty high up on my list. I had, had him as my number three. And let's be honest, he made it to the end of the show. So, you know, <laughs> it's got to count for something. Always important. I'm sure he's at high, at least top three of most people's lists, except for Matt, because he's special. But, you know, he's he, he makes it to the end. He's involved in most of the strategizing and plots that happen in King's Landing. And let's be honest, in the show, and maybe, yeah, I think the same thing in the books too, where he does his little finger... Varys er, and Pycelle like trickaroo to figure out who's giving information to Cersei like that was genius like I don't know I'm pretty naive so I was impressed by that <laughs> so <laughs> it was he had me from there all right awesome awesome are we ready for number three then go on go on tell me all right my number three is daddy Tywin is number three <laughs> Uh, ran a kingdom for two, two, two terrible kings. I mean, that's hard to do, man. To do that for the Mad King and for, well, of course, the greatest king to ever live, uh, Joffrey Baratheon. But nonetheless, still uh, quite quite an undertaking, quite an undertaking. Um, the guy that really could have used his help the most probably would have been Robert. 
to be perfectly honest. We might still have a kingdom with Robert as the king if he had just uh, got Tywin to do it. But Tywin was smart also in the fact that I don't want anything to do with that brute. And so, therefore, uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty, pretty smart of Tywin. Does Tywin rank on your list at all, Kelly? Barely. He, he was my alt for for four. So if I was going to rank him, I would have put it at my four spot. So you and I had our Tyrion and Tywin flipped in our ranking system. So he was beaten out by somebody who survived him by a little bit. <laughs> somebody survived him by a little bit. Excellent. All right. Uh, number two. Wow. We're all the way to number two. My number two is Bran. Magic had a plan, and he knew it. He knew what that plan was by the end of it all. Is he all-knowing? Yes. Knew that he had to let some people die. All those people die at Winterfell just so that he could become king. He even had to let all that stuff happen at King's Landing. It wasn't because he wanted to. It was because he had to, because he knew his destiny. He knew it all along. He's kind of like Doctor Strange, holding up that one finger to Tony Stark. You got one chance. And Bran took that one chance uh, and and knew that basically everything had to happen just so the world could be saved, so Thanos could be beaten. Um, he's even all-knowing, uh, but he still doesn't get my smartest award because he just couldn't figure out how to keep all those people from dying. If you were really smart, you'd know what was going to happen and fix it and just do that. But no. No, could not do that. There is one person who knows how to fix everything and does it. And that's number one on my list. But first, Kelly. Bran? No, not on my list. Sorry, get him out of here. Wow, a very big dismissal of Bran. Put it on the poll. (laughs) Did Kelly dismiss Bran too easily? Did Kelly dismiss Bran too easily? Find that on the poll at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. All right, then my number one, Sansa. Nobody has survived and learned more from surviving than Sansa. She knows a bad egg when she sees one. She didn't trust Daenerys. None of us should have trusted Daenerys. But Sansa knew. She tried to tell us. We didn't listen. Instead, we got mad about what happened in the the Bell episode. Uh, she's an impeccable dresser. She was a little young when the Joffrey thing happened. She learned from that experience. She grew from that experience. Uh, so I don't hold that against her. Um, she steered the North towards success as well. That's my number one, Sansa, Queen of the North of Winterfell. All right, Kelly, we'll begin your list now. <laughs> you know, I got to start off with my boy, Theon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Theon's missing a few things. And not just brains. No, 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 definitely not. Um, <laughs> uh, but we might, might should do a, a bottom five smartest people. Let's make <laughs> make a list. I did have a couple honorable honorable mentions, so don't look for these guys on my list. Uh, Sansa didn't even make it to my list. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I thought Sansa and Arya were still learning by the end of the series, so I didn't uh, feel like I could include them on my list. All of these people, just I had many more reasons to include them above those two girls. Um, I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) But they have so much potential. They've they've come a very far, long way, which brings me to my first person, which is Danny, my number five. 
I know she had flaws, let's call them, <laughs> by the end. But I want to say she did start at the lowest point and got to the highest place of power throughout like just the widest range of situations that any character in the show of books like experienced, like from Dothraki to Marine, everywhere all over Essos, then all the way to Westeros, like just she was able to survive and rule these people of all kinds of backgrounds. So I feel like she had to have some sort of, we have to give her credit for that. Um, so she made my list and also she's my girl. Alternately, I was going to say like Rob and John were kind of in the same boat as her, but not as impressive. And Rob obviously had impressive beginnings and then he made a little mistake and then, yeah. So the, that's kind of that category. So and I think Danny was the best in that category. Number four, this is where I had Tywin, but I think he did get beat out by Lady Olena, the Queen of Thorns. Oh. I think, come on, my girl. Wow. <laughs> she was doing good things for her family the same way Tywin was, but Tywin was so prideful. He had this blind spot. And so I think maybe it's because of her gender. Maybe it's like just the difference between the sigils. You can kind of see how like... Flowers might seem non-threatening, whereas the lion has to seem prideful. So the the strategy that Olena used was much more tasteful to the people. So she wasn't as threatening to everyone. So I think Olena was more effective, um, especially with the hairnet or necklace, however you want to recall, at the Purple Wedding. Just very good at strategy. Very cool. And then she was, you know, working and mealing and dealing throughout. I think she did a great job. And then, unfortunately, she basically died by her own hand because she knew what was coming and she was ready for it. So... Number three, I think I already mentioned this was my Tyrion, um, and that's where my alt for Sir Davos kind of was. And I think you can kind of see how they're similar, very streetwise and capable, but I think Davos got knocked out of this kind of category because Tyrion was just much more effective. Sir Davos kind of let his blind spot of humility and, and lack of fingers <laughs> keep him from being truly the, the wisest he could be. <laughs> My number two, my number two, I picked, and this is a pretty big category that a couple people could have fallen into, but I had to pick Varys. I think Varys played similar to Elena, a long game, um, background character game. Don't put yourself out in front of too many people who would want to take you down. Kind of make yourself useful to enough people. Long game. I did not have Varys or Littlefinger <sighs> on my list because... Uh, especially book-wise well, and TV show-wise. I, I don't think Varys is quite as bad in the TV show as he is in the books. But uh, there's there's a couple of things that seem kind of crazy for me about Varys in the books as well. And Littlefinger's just disgusting. I couldn't even bring myself to give him nominations. I can see that. That's fair. <laughs> Let's pretend he doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, his character is, is capable, but let's not call him smart. Okay. Number one, my number one will seem weird to show only watchers, but book readers might understand. I went with Doran Martell. Whoa. Um, if you recall, if you recall who this character is, um, yeah, he was played by Dr. Julian Bashir in the uh, TV show, which was awesome to see, but he did not do very well in the show. So this might seem odd. He, he's playing this long game and he has this like his quote about Oberyn and how Oberyn is the snake in the grass, but Doran, he's the grass and you don't fear the grass, but the grass hides the snake and they won't see the snake coming if the grass is, is playing covers and he's got his, you know, he's the only one paying attention to Essos right now. And it, 
I guess we kind of see his influence through his his kids in the books um, that I'm hoping will be more promising in, uh, um, in uh, his daughter than his son. <laughs> but still, I don't know. I'm hoping his plot line illustrates my faith in his intelligence at this point. Um, my alternate was Brandon Rivers because I feel like he's also got this long game knowledge base plan going on, but I don't know enough about him to really say for sure if he's smart technically because he seems very ineffective you know what i mean in in as so far as we've been able to see so where are we gonna go now kelly well we've talked about the smartest characters now let's talk about the smartest dressed characters (laughs) oh i like how you added the smartest term in there uh this time you will go first and we'll just alternate back and forth i'm very curious to see how we compare on these all right the um, one and only boy on my list. I had to put a boy on here, but he's at the bottom because y'all know, you you know, girls like the boys in this series were eh, good, but like the women in the series, amazing. So not to be sexist, but I uh, I did put Sir Jamie Lannister uh, on my list. I think what did it for me was the tan leather jacket that he uh, sported. When he wasn't in his armor or when he wasn't in his, like, captured rags, <laughs> he's got this gorgeous, like, it looks almost too modern. There's this, like, um, tan leather jacket that he wears that's asymmetrical, and it was just totally unique, and it was very um, attractive on him. So, uh, but of course, when he's in his armor, he's gorgeous. When he's in his, it's just with, under his armor, he's got like a, the tunic or he's got his jerk. Um, oh, it was called a buckler when he's out there fencing with Bronn. He's got his red buckler on and he's just, they did a really good job since he was probably the male lead for a lot of like, this stuff where who could actually made sense for his character to have ornate clothing on. Um, I was really glad to get to see his style. And I think as far as men goes, he was, he was the top of the men what did you think matt who was your number five well jamie wasn't on my list he would probably have been an honorable mention uh for me uh i think he is a very sharp dresser but he's just got that one faux pas you can't hide a golden hand it, it can't and it's not much of a statement uh except to say you know it just all all it says is look at me i'm powerful and i lost a hand and i feel very privileged to have a replacement that is golden and uh so uh that took points away from me didn't make my list i will give you my number five let me know if this is on your list number five sansa stark obviously on kelly's list as well uh it took her the reason why she's at the bottom of my list is because it took her to season four uh to really get it together and that's why she's so low on my list once she did get it together Oh boy, did she get it together. She knows, she used those sewing lessons that she got from Septa Mordain uh, very well. Uh, definitely uh, at the end of the series when she is made Queen of the North, I was just like, yep, I'll bow to that. Yes, Sansa was my number three on my list. I will happily uh, accept that you uh, you included her, even though she's a little low. I understand you're right. And I think her transition of her character was, you know, reflected in her clothes. And she was like all of the female characters really changed from pastels to darker colors to straight black by the final season. So she followed in that trend, but in her own way that 
you know, just when she, her kind of final evolution came, <laughs> like Sansa, final form, <laughs> it was pretty glorious. And she did it like in her own, like the feathers were for the um, little fingers, like ravens, uh, Mockingjay kind of motif kind of built, built mm. in. And she always had like her necklace with the needle through it was her version of having needle like um, Aria. There was a lot of subtle things that went into Sansa's clothes that I think... Uh, so impressive so impressive and i can't we can't go any further i have to mention i did uh watch some documentaries about this with um, michelle clapton was the costume designer and then another woman named michelle carriger was um the cost the costume embroiderer and just anything that, that they did documentaries on just explaining like season one ladies outfits season blah 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 ladies outfits it was just fascinating how much everything had a reason to be in each of these outfits and oh, glorious glad she's on your list she's definitely on my list okay so who is your number four Number four, all ladies from here, uh, so hold on to your hats. It's going to get saucy. Marjorie Tyrell. She wow. just had this summery clothes, the, all the roses on her clothes, always like representing her house, always just having the thorns kind of weaved in to indicate like just still strong, but in a feminine way. And always being this like in Cersei's face, flaunting her youth and sexy, like more skin than Cersei ever showed. Oh, I just loved how she used her, her clothes as a um, power move around Cersei too. So favorite outfit was definitely her, her wedding dress. If you get like ever still images of it, like just the rose train all the way down her spine and down her back. And then these thorns, um, these vines of thorns going up her back oh so cool so cool so very impressive girl used what she had and and her status and did not miss a beat never never a faux pas with uh, lady marjorie <laughs> marjorie was my number two kelly Yay! because you know from that iconic wedding dress to uh it it, it rivaled any royal wedding uh that i've ever seen in my entire life all the way to the fact that she could just go slumming with Sansa. I think that's a double S. Um, you know, her outfits always kept the attention of the lords and ladies everywhere, which made it very easy for her uh, to work her way into places of power, uh, represent her house in places of power as well, uh, demand the attention uh, that she truly did deserve. Um, except the reason why she didn't make my number one, actually, is because it didn't work on Rinley. If it had worked on Rinley, then by golly, um, this world is madness. Uh, first of all, because that doesn't happen. Second of all, if it had worked on Rinley, uh, there would obviously be no reason to think that she wasn't absolutely the best dressed person in the world. I think the fact that it didn't work on Renly made it just abundantly clear <laughs> what the situation was. Exactly. <laughs> but my number four is one of my two males, Oberyn Martell. I mean, uh, those unique exotic patterns and, and uh, swashbuckling kind of looked about him and the, you know, it's just not only enticing to the wilds of Alaria, but also, you know, half of the sex workers in King's Landing as well. Um, and the other half also. All the men <laughs> and all the women enjoy uh, Oberyn Martell looking at him. Uh, probably all over Dorne as well. He, he probably has a hard time getting a good night's sleep anywhere he goes because he's so well dressed. Um, he even dressed well for, for his double C 
you know, is cranial crushing. Oh, look at that grimace. That didn't work. Ouch. Ouch. Oh, I forgot. I was trying really hard to picture what double C was. And then when you said it, <laughs> I pictured it really hard. I'm not hard. giving anybody a chance to think about it this time around. I'm not going to let anybody ask. We're not a double B podcast. So you can't ask. I can just say it and then go straight into it. Uh, so that was my number four. He wasn't in enough scenes. I wanted more. Um, <laughs> but no, he definitely was an honorable mention. And, and I did love that. Like he always had like this just got out of bed look <laughs> to his outfits. Like I liked the fact that he never wore armor the way that the other houses did. And he just always looked casual and at ease. And you couldn't really show off that like super straight as an arrow box figure and his like you know, he always had like one shoulder up and one shoulder down. He just looked casual as heck. Like it was just confidence that he has, um, that his clothes reflect. And also, yeah, like you said, like when they show up at the wedding, like there's just this like exotic nature. Like we had never seen this, these patterns and colors before in King's Landing. So he brought that style to it. Um, I'm really glad you mentioned Oberyn <laughs> yeah, wonderful. For, for lots of reasons. <laughs> so I'll go to my number three now. And uh, you like the way Jamie dresses. I like the way Cersei dresses. Season one, all the way up uh, to her end with the boulder bashing. That's a double B. She was always dressed in, in a way that just screamed power. Me. More me. That's a double M. Um, there was that small bit when she was in prison where she didn't look so great. But other than that, uh, and that that's what took her down to a number three. Other than that, she absolutely just everything she wore said power, power, power. And I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, <laughs> yes, your majesty. Uh, so there you go. Uh, was Cer Cersei on your list there? She was. She was my number two. Number um, two. Yeah. So when I was watching these documentaries about the the styles of clothing there, like they did point out, and of course, like I'm not paying attention. I'm not an expert on any of this, but once they mentioned it, it was abundantly clear that Cersei and same with Jamie is that a lot of their clothes and Jamie's armor is um Japanese inspired. Like Cersei's got these long sleeves for the like, the kimono. She's got like uh, got these high waisted um belts on everything. And once course it clicked once they said that but like th that style that was specifically towards her stood out as genius because of course it's elegant and powerful and completely impractical and that's what a queen is supposed to be um that and then of course later in the series she gets her her like lady armor which was silly but cool like i i thought it was you know of course you tease it because it's impractical. It's like that little tiny breastplate was never really going to do anything, but it was symbolic and it was like impressive to see a woman be being able to do that. Cause we always talk about Brienne and lady warriors and stuff, but she had her own kind of strength. And so I thought that the styles that they gave for her. And of course, like you said, like me, like everything lions and red and always, always a, the, you know, Lannister, everything. So she was glorious and Lena Headey, you can't, I mean, she looked good in anything, so <laughs> she'd even look good naked. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't her. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, let's see. So are we both down to our number ones now? Come on. Do what you go first, because you went first. All right. Are you sure? Because I'm going to trump yours, no matter what. I mean, we're going to put this one on the poll, and I am going to win. You sure do you want, you want me to go 
first. I think I can handle it. Okay. My number one is none other than the greatest king who ever lived, Joffrey Baratheon. Joffrey Baratheon, his dress, just like his mom, took after his mom, screamed power, screamed me. This is all about me. Dressed as a king should be. Ignored the poor suggestions of tailors. Even ignored his own mother's suggestions because he was a cut above her, as evidenced by her being number three on my list. Uh, and always making sure to include a splash of red because he likes to see red smiles all over the place, except on his clothes. Don't get any red smiles on his clothes. He doesn't like red smiles on his clothes. But man, attracted even Sansa. Sansa was attracted to Joffrey until, you know, he started doing awful things. Uh, but that has nothing to do with his impeccable taste and wardrobe in terms of clothing. Uh, the greatest dressed human being on Planetos ever, Joffrey Baratheon. What you got to beat that, Kelly? <laughs> it's going to be tough. I mean, oh. Joffrey was in three seasons, so, you know, it's <laughs> it'd have to be somebody who was in more than three seasons because they'd have a wider range, a variety, of course. Um, it'd have to be somebody who wore a wider range of clothes, who um, perhaps their character went through a lot and had a climate change uh, that they had different clothes for. No. Contain your shock. <laughs> As I announced my number one <laughs> was Danny. <laughs> I am so. completely floored. How the heck did that happen? I don't. I don't even get it. I don't know what the world's gotten to. Uh, okay, do do explain your number one. I, Matt will put a trigger warning before this in case you're driving. We don't want to cause any accidents. This was, um, I know, everyone's surprised. You know, your girl looked good in Dothraki. Your girl looked good in Marine. Uh, in that blue tun, uh, you know, dress with the pants underneath. Your girl was bright flash of, of color in this desert. Uh, and then your girl got sexy for a minute in Marine. Like she got like holes cut out of her dress. I'm like, all right, all right, your girl, you know, picking up where Marjorie left off. And then she gets to Westeros and girl says, it's chilly here. I'm putting on my furs. She had that dragon coat with the back. That was like, the spine was a dragon like scales. So it was glorious. Every outfit she had was, I mean, of course, she's the lead. They're going to do their best work on their like lead female character. And, and of course, logically, the character would have the means because she's got this whole army of people helping her out. This is an obvious choice, but it uh -huh. it was so well done. I mean, I, I loved every dragon that was incorporated into her outfit. And there was the, the scene at the pit in Marine. She's sitting there with his dar and she's got this pewter or silver dragon that just sits around her neck. Mm. And it doesn't even clasp, but it's just this necklace. And I looked for probably six weeks, like as often as I could online to see if anybody had anything like that. It was so gorgeous and it was such a unique piece. And she always had her little three-headed dragon cloak 
class when she got to Westeros and just everything that she wore. She was just elegant. She had this specific style where her um, shoulders would be a little bit exposed and then she'd have a V, but then it would be clasps across the top. So it was, um, I think one of the ways that the documentary mentioned was that it's kind of a symbol symbolic that she's um, always in control. Like, whereas, you know, there's a sense of security in her clothing like that. So there's always little things like that, that I think made her, her style unique. She always looked amazing. My favorite outfit though, um, was that coat. I mean, I had ever seen a burning man coat that that was it. (laughs) (laughs) We will put it on the poll. Who made the best choice? Uh, or what was the best choice for best dress? Killer one or killer two? <laughs> both monsters, both monsters, but uh, <laughs> extremely well-dressed monsters. <laughs> extremely well-dressed monsters. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. In order to be the fashion icon, you just have to be killing it all the time. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, groan. No fake Holly laugh there. Okay. So those are some of our lists. Do we have any other lists? Are we done? We did it. We did it. Yay. Those are our lists, ladies and gentlemen. And you thought you were done with us. You're not. We've got more games to play. And uh, I don't know. We'll we'll try and go through some of these uh, rather quickly if we can. Uh, Kelly, would you rather play a word association game where we try to name characters to each other and we have to say what's the first word that comes to mind? Or would you rather play the fill and replace game where a sentence has a couple of blanks in it and we have to alternately uh, fill in the blanks and change the blanks until somebody's sentence is either so stupid or so smart they're either declared the loser or the winner? (laughs) I will be very bad at the first one. Uh, I am not concise nor quick-witted so uh if we want to do that one for a laugh we can otherwise uh, i'm much better at the the second one even though that one is still going to be hit or miss i have a very unique sense of humor okay (laughs) here we go it's up to you so i will choose one blank and i will fill it in you will choose another blank and then you will fill it in this game would be much more fun if there was more than two people (laughs) I will pick the third blank and fill it in. And then you start replacing blanks until we have something stupid like ship couldn't find their sails even if their dragon depended on it or something like that. <laughs> okay. So it's Mad Libs. Got yes, it. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what it is. It's Mad Libs, uh, which if I'd have ever played that game, I wouldn't have thought that I had reinvented the wheel. Uh, but here we go. Uh, try and keep it Game of Thrones oriented if you can. So. This first sentence. Ned couldn't find their blank, even if their blank depended on it. Uh, you go. Chick- chicken. Ned couldn't find their chicken, even if their blank depended on it. Ned couldn't find their chicken, even if their direwolf depended on it. <laughs> that works pretty good. <laughs> so what I did is I made a sentence that makes sense on its own. So so we made a sentence that made sense on its own, but now you have to go back and replace any one of those three words with what we've already said. Okay. Sandor Clegane. Couldn't find their chicken, even if their direwolf <laughs> depended on it. Okay. Sandor, now I can't replace the one that you just said. So Sandor Clegane 
couldn't find their chicken, <laughs> even if their needle depended on it. <laughs> hmm. Sandor Clegane couldn't find their chicken, even if their brother's life depended on it. <laughs> oh, that's more than one word. Cheater. I know. I don't understand this game very good. You lose. Make up you, my lose. Rules. <laughs> you lose. One word. One word only. You lose. Number two. Uh, even if their brother depended on it. <laughs> okay. Uh, varies. Couldn't find their chicken, even if their brother depended on it. <laughs> Um, yes, there was a, a, a something in there. <laughs> How are you keeping track of this? I can't keep track of what... Uh... I'm just repeating the last sentence that was said in my mind and then just picking a word and replacing it. Oh, you don't have a list of words you're pulling from or something? No. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So Varys couldn't find their chicken even if their brother depended on it? That's the last one, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Did you finally get that now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is, is that a winner? Maybe we're done. Do I win? Maybe, maybe we're done there. We're done there. All right. Uh, thank goodness. Because I don't even know where that would have gone from there. Okay. So the sentence I came up with was Sandor Clegane couldn't find their empathy even if their chicken depended on it. <laughs> winner. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. Excellent. Here's the second sentence. Blank is never blank, but sometimes can be blank. Do that with Game of Thrones words. You, you go first. Pick a word. Uh, a tully is never blank, but sometimes can be blank. A tully is never wrong, but sometimes can be wrong. Oh, I did two words. I lose. <laughs> one more. I got one more for you. All right. Um, a Baratheon in a brothel is never humble, but sometimes can be fawning. Oh, dear joke. Was that a stretch? Was that a stretch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I'm really bad at jokes, so like I was really proud of those. <laughs> oh, dear. You broke the rules anyway. You used more than one word on everything. It wasn't written in the rules, was it? I don't think it was. No, it wasn't written in the rules. <laughs> My failure. Vote on the polls here. Uh, can Kelly get around the rules, even the ones that aren't there? Yes or no? At for the let the number B, the letter B, the number four, the dragon on pod on Twitter. Oh my! Oh my! Every podcast. Uh, if you noticed in our Roberts Rebellion podcast, which uh, went absolutely nowhere last year, but we continued to pull things from those. Uh, I used to do shameless plugs, and I would have to do them as a Game of Thrones character. We decided we would do some more shameless plugs, but we have to do them as an over-the-top radio announcer. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, do you want to go first, Kelly, or you want me to? Uh, you go first. I got to get into the mood. You got to get into the mood. 97.3, The Storm. The Storm. That's right. Bear and a Maiden Fair by Short Guys Are All Right. I'm telling you, Tyrion is really bringing that lowest chorus home, baby. It's holding at number four on the Hot 100 here on 93, The Storm. The Storm. The Storm. The Storm. Hot 100 is brought to you this week by the History of Westeros podcast. Aziz and Ashaya take a single group of A Song of Ice and Fire topics and comb the books to complete and discuss 
everything in a context to help George's readers get more out of his epic stories. Find them at Westeros History on Twitter and find everything regarding their podcast at historyofwesteros.com. The Storm. The Storm. Now, back to our Hot 100, where moving up to number three, all the way from number 25, like a bullet, even though bullets don't even really exist in Westeros, it's the hot new group, Dark Sister, with a thousand eyes and one, right now on The Storm. The Storm. The Storm. The Storm. Yay! <laughs> That Top was that. very good. Top that. <laughs> Kelly, go. 97.3, the storm, the storm, the storm. That's right. Bear in the Maiden Fair by Short Guys All Around Right. Tyrion is really bringing that last chorus home, baby. It's holding at number four on the Hot 100 here on 97.3, the storm. The storm, the storm, the storm. Hot 100 is brought to you this week by the History of Westeros podcast. Aziz and Ashea take a single or group of A Song of Ice and Fire topics and comb the books to compile and discuss everything in a context to help George's readers get more out of his epic series. Find them at Westeros History on Twitter and find everything at historyofwesteros.com. All one word. The storm. The storm. The storm. The storm. Now back to our Hot 100, where we're moving up to number three, all the way up from number 25, like a bullet, even though those don't really exist in Westeros. It's the hot new group, Dark Sister, with a thousand eyes and one, right now on The Storm. The Storm. The Storm. The Storm. The storm. <laughs> I got enthusiasm. You can say that about me. <laughs> I've got the face for radio, and you've got the voice, baby. <laughs> so we'll put that on a poll. At the letter B, the number four, the <laughs> Dragon Pod. Uh, Kelly slayed it, yes or no. That's how we'll do that one. And uh, you better vote yes. Because <laughs> I want to read the results in our next podcast if you don't. Kelly, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about the trailer. The little teaser trailer that came out last fall. You had any? You had any thoughts about that? No, I'm uh, I'm just wondering about the the debut timeline. I think there was like some um, German magazine that came out and said that it might be uh, airing this fall or winter, which would be weird, um, unusual for HBO to air it not in April. But um, if that's their new schedule, that'll be it. But I don't know. What do you, do you know anything about the new air air dates or anything like that? I actually don't. Um, okay. I never at one. I never really speculated that we would get anything in the spring. Uh, I think there's just too much visual effects stuff to do and considering that they were still doing some filming i think as late as october right mm -hmm. so yeah late september early october um i don't think that's enough time to turn it around um so i was expecting maybe a summer release didn't game of thrones do a summer release one summer didn't they start like in june or something like that yeah that's kind of what i would think about but if it's being pushed off all the way to fall then i would say that they're really taking care to make it good um, and that's encouraging, uh, you know, yeah. uh, because there's obviously going to be lots of dragons, which means lots of visual effects. But not only that, um, there's going to be lots of, of, you know, worlds that they're going to have to do and that kind of thing. So from a technical end, 
Um, as long as they've got the footage that they want, uh, I'm willing to give them all the time in the world that they need. Unlike giving George all the time in the world that he needs in order to paint a picture, I'm willing to give HBO all the time in the world that they need to paint a picture for me to watch. That's right. George has no excuses. <laughs> George is on thin ice with me right now. As far as like the trailer, like I was like thinking I missed a teaser trailer or something, but there hasn't been anything since that one a couple months ago, right? Right. I haven't seen okay, anything good. new. I have not seen anything new. But speaking of that, there's lots of stuff that we're going to be doing. We're going to be covering each and every episode of House of the Dragon, and it's time for me to tell you a little bit about that. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have a specific format of, like, initial reaction podcast. Might might try to bring back the fan call-in shows. If you remember those from Podcast Winterfell, we might have those uh, where me and maybe one of the sirens will join me and we can talk a little bit and at the same time bring in callers. I'll keep you up to date on that as we get a release date and get closer to that time. Uh, the other thing, you're going to be able to find everything on video at the YouTube. Look for that link in the show notes because I can't remember it off the top of my head and I don't have it written down anywhere for me to read to you uh, because I'm organized that way and also uh, so just watch for videos uh, just like if you happen to come across this one which if you follow us on Twitter at the letter B the number four the dragon pod on Twitter then you will uh, see this video posted and pinned uh, and that's the way that you can get our content all this year we love when you can join us in that fashion, uh, hit the like button. Leave comments. That way we can get more feedback from you. You can always send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com as well. One of the things, no matter how many podcasts a week we do on this, which I, it's getting to the point where our timelines are to the point where maybe we can do one. At most, we can do two. But the whole idea is we want to have some kind of content to where you get to laugh at us. Because if we're not having fun, What's the point of doing this? I got to a point in season five with podcast Winterfell where I was no longer having fun and I just made it miserable for everybody and uh, everybody in turn made it miserable for me for about a season telling me how wrong I was. I came back and and everybody, I saw how, how wrong I was and I don't want to go through anything like that again. So I'm not going to be too, too terribly serious. It's just TV. It's not my life. Um, I'm not a fan who knows every word of every book by heart uh, and can point to three instances of where the showrunners went wrong. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to tell you whether I liked it, whether I didn't like it. I'm going to make Kelly, the siren of A Song of Ice and Fire from the West, and Holly, the siren of A Song of Ice and Fire from the South, and Susan, if we get a chance to talk to her again, the Song of Ice and Fire from the East. Susan, you're out there. I know you're out there. Call me. Uh, <laughs> or Stephanie. The Song of Ice and Fire Siren from the North. And John, the Titan of A Song of Ice and Fire from the North. And maybe even sometimes the famous documentarian Mike, the Titan of A Song of Ice and Fire from somewhere out there in the Northwest. So we're going to have those guys maybe a guest visit from Bubba and them as well. Bubba and Catfish, uh, or at least one of the two of them from time to time. But it's no fun if we just get together and talk. We have to make it to worth it for us to go up, to, to, to show up for each other. And one of those things will be to see each other endure punishments based on games. Uh, we're going to call this game Seven Hells. That's what we're going to do. Seven Hells. And there's going to be all kinds of punishments. Uh, like the game will be based on the fact that 
each of us every week, uh, starting the week before, or even starting earlier, we might uh, get the season one, episode one drawings out of the way first, but we draw a character. If that character says any of Carlin's seven words, or a number of other words that are uh, can't be said on this podcast, but can be said on House of the Dragon, because it has no uh, particular rating system, uh, just curse words, or using even a, a Song of Ice and Fire type curse words. And if our character does that within an episode, then we have to pay a punishment. There are lots of punishments. I'm encouraging my co-host to develop more punishments. I encourage you, send us in punishments and tell us what you want to see us do on screen. Some of these will be video payoffs. Some of them will be audio payoffs. That's why we're doing YouTube all this House of the Dragon season. Let me give you an example. This is one of my favorites, a punishment for, and I, I can't choose this one for myself. Uh, someone else will have to choose it. I'm sure it'll be one of the last to go. Called Matt is always right. Panelists must either A, exhibit completely agreeing with everything Matt does on the podcast, or B, write a two to 400 word statement praising me and read it on the podcast. I can't, as I said, I can't write my own praise and then read it. I mean, you could. Uh, we also have the same ones for Kelly, the Siren of a Song of Ice and Fire in the West, or Holly, the Song of Ice and Fire Siren from the South, or Stephanie, the Song of Ice and Fire Siren from the South, from the North, or Susan, the Song of Ice and Fire from the East, or Bubba, the Bubba from the South, and <laughs> or John, the Titan of Ice and Fire from the North. Uh, the or uh, that's it. I don't have Mike down here. We can we can add Mike as well, uh, and and let's not add Catfish. Let's just not, because that would be insufferable. Um, <laughs> just, we want it to be possible, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Cersei Lannister, podcaster. That is another punishment. Where all commentary made in the podcast must be done by the panelist as a Cersei Lannister voice impression or exhibit at least exhibiting the attitudes of Cersei Lannister on every topic discussed. I, I might request a waiver in there somewhere so that, like, when we are actually talking about the content of the episode, we are a little bit lenient about the rule or something. Because I do love hearing, like, your thoughts on, on the show. So I'm like, I really want to make sure we still get the good content, right? It's like... Yeah, but if all, if all I got to say is, that's stupid. Here's what I think. Then I haven't destroyed my content anyway. I've just that's destroyed true. yours. <laughs> that's true. But I just want to make sure that we're balancing it, right? Or or reassure the audience that we there will be a balance. It's not all going to be completely nonsensical, one hundred percent. It'll be like fifty percent nonsense. Right. You, you always <laughs> points. Uh, we'll make you commissioner so that you can judge the line on those. Uh, they get more brutal though. They do. <laughs> Lemon cakes. This one will probably be one of the last ones to go. A panelist must eat a slice of lemon every 10 minutes during the podcast. That's rough. That's going to be hard. Uh, there may I be don't some know, maybe Holly likes lemons. Holly's they, they, weird. They, 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 there might be some liabilities in these. We'll have to make sure that nobody <laughs> who has some kind of allergies or something like that uh, takes that as a punishment or has to take it because it's the only one left. How about? Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there, there, there's a whole bunch. But there may be a whole bunch of punishments given out each week 
if there's yeah. two or three panelists who've drawn and they're all wrong because somebody does a cuss, uh, right now we've got, oh, what, 33. I like the, uh, also, I like this one in particular. I hope nobody takes it uh, because this is the one that I really want to do. Uh, panelist does not have to dress up like the hound um, because we don't want anybody um, sticking their face onto a fire like a mutton chop. Uh, but they must be seen eating chicken anytime that they're not speaking. So I'm going to get me a bucket of chicken from KFC <laughs> and I'm going to be, I'll have all the chickens if I get to, if I get, if I happen to lose one, uh, that will be probably be the first punishment I take. And believe you me, folks, when we do like a two hour podcast, you're going to see one sick boy at the end of that for sure. Pace yourself. <laughs> and you can't pace yourself. You have to be eating the entire time when you're not speaking. Um, it's going to make for some very funny video, ladies and gentlemen, as I'm sitting there going, <laughs> you'll see an expression on my face like I'm about to puke every time after we get into about hour or two. That's the way that those go. And Kelly's not liking this. She thinks that maybe I have uh, gone over the line. I'm just, <laughs> I'm like, and where will the musical analysis fall in during the bucket, the chicken bucket eating <laughs> Oh, see, I'll have to be eating when the piano is playing. I'll have to play the piano, be eating chicken. Uh, as a, no, those are always pre-recorded, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let me, <laughs> don't let us fool you. Uh, those have to be pre-recorded, and I won't guarantee that I'll be eating chicken during the making of those if I have to pay that punishment. You got a particular punishment that you're really looking forward to doing, Kelly, to get out of the way? Always get the easy ones first. Leave the hard ones for the end. That's what I say. The Khaleesi one sounds fun, but in, intricate. Um, I would like to be the one to give, to call somebody else Khaleesi. <laughs> you, know, you want to be Jorah Mormont? You want to do it in yeah. the Jorah Mormont voice? All right. Yeah. That's excellent. Uh, I'm really also looking forward to whoever does the Flea Bottom Rats or Louis Armstrong Scats. That's a one where uh, the for the entirety of the podcast and every take given, the panelists must either include a gross ingredient for their own famous flea bottom bowl of brown recipe or perform a brief jazz scat uh, within the take or at before or after the take. Uh, you know, kind of like, uh, well, I thought that Damon was a real jerk there. Scooby doo, scooby doo, dee, dee, doo. <laughs> no? I would, I would give that a go, but I would be very bad. <laughs> the way that game works, by the way, folks, is that uh, you'll draw a character and you get one chance to decide whether you want to keep that character or throw him back into the pile to draw another character. Now, if you get the same character again, then you're stuck with that character. But you're always stuck with your second choice no matter what. There is also instant death in the draw will be assigned. One instant death, which means that you don't have to... It doesn't matter whether you have drawn a character or not. You will have to pay a punishment the next time you're on the podcast. And there is also an instant relief so you get to uh not have to pay one of your punishments if you get that or not pay a punishment for that particular week so we're trying to make it to where there'll be not too many punishments but i'm kind of hoping that there's at least one a week to give somebody a visual or audio payoff in our podcast it totally seems like there will be at least one a week it'll yeah. be fun yeah uh we can also apply those same punishments to a different game as well. Let's see. How about the over-under for the minutes of the episode? We can do a little bet there. Uh, if you've ever done any betting 
uh, then you know that you're always chasing with an over-under somewhere on a Saturday night with Hawaii's football involved. Uh, that's generally the way it goes. You're always chasing with the over-under on Hawaii's football. Uh, but the, uh, the idea is, will it be over or under a set number of minutes? 55 minutes is what we'll set as it. So let's just go ahead and put ours on the line right now, Kelly. Uh, for over or under, will the premiere episode be over or under 55 minutes? Oh, I thought you meant the podcast episode. I was like, no, Duh. no, the podcast <laughs> over is a sure bet on the podcast. <laughs> right? No, no. Like, Will the first episode of House of the Dragon be over or under 55 minutes? 55. Over. Going with the over. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there right now to guarantee that I get punished sometime this season. I'm going over on all of them. All of them over 55 minutes total. So All right, let's, we, let's punish Matt. Let's do let's do let's do some math and we'll figure out from uh previously uh, on to credits. All right. Anything else in closing, Kelly? No, I'm looking forward to it. This was kind of a good little taste of the fun and the fun won't stop. So uh I would say like I wanna hear what other people said about uh these lists that we did. What people thought about their favorite book titles or their favorite best dressed or their favorite uh the, who the, was the smartest character in their esteem how you would define the smartest character in the books or shows like the best dressed is also kind of by taste but i think that the, the smartest character is is debatable so i'd be interested in what other people's logic is behind that so obviously if anyone were very different on that one yeah <laughs> so if anybody has strong feelings tweet at matt and i'll see it <laughs> at the letter b the number four the dragon pod on twitter and if people want to call you out for your great lists or not let me know that they think my lists are terrible <laughs> kelly how do they do so uh or if you can fill in the blanks or come up with other game of thrones puns to throw our way i'll accept those gratefully uh at Kelly Underfoot. That's K-E-L-Y and Underfoot like my girl. And I love the laugh and they can even be a groan. You know I work with Matt, so, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> Groans happen often when somebody works with me. They, they have to groan a lot. She's very practiced at groaning. At the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod. At uh, Matt's audio blog at gmail.com M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com Thanks for joining us this time around. We will see you later. Tweet the podcast at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod. Send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com and find all back episodes and other information at mattsaudioblog.com. Audio